We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, verse 19. But before we go any further in this gospel-centered salvation message, let's pray together. God, we ask for your will and your guidance as we hear your word. May we not only know it, but may it become a part of us so we can respond like Christ based on what you share with us. We thank you, Lord, for this day. It's, it's Easter that we think of. It's Easter that we celebrate the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for the forgiveness of our sins. And God, we just pray that you will help us to not only know the truth of your word, but also um, how your word may live in and through us. How are we supposed to act and think and speak? We also, in this time, want to pray for our country and the globe. There's just so many hard and difficult things happening. And Lord, we pray that you will bless this land, that you will bless us with good health and wise decision making and guideline following. And we also pray, Lord, that you will bring an end, an end to this pandemic and that we might give you praise and glory because we know that it is you that has done that. So Lord, we pray for that. Bring healing and insight as we study in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when I was growing up, there was a season in my house where um, every Easter we would um, wake up Easter morning. Uh, my little brother and I, we would come out, run down the hall, live in a little ranch style house. We'd come down the hall, turn the kind of corner into the kitchen. Then right there on the table would be these um, kind of like ba Easter baskets with all kinds of cool stuff. I remember getting a Superman flag one time. I, I always, there was a bunch of candy. Then they had that weird like green, cut your hand to a million pieces like confetti grass. It was like real long. And um, boy, I can remember during that season of Easter, just how exciting it was to um, wake up on Easter. It's uh, the Lord's risen day and, and kind of celebrate that and come in. And for breakfast, you've just got this huge basket of candy and toys well it it's been a long time um, since that has actually happened but it has happened again for me this easter totally unexpected totally out of the blue but i just I, I want to show you you need to see maybe one of the most thoughtful easter gifts i have ever received and when you know the context that we're in, it's going to make, look at this, watch this. So here it is. I'm going to bring it over. I'm going to let you see it. Let, the, let me make sure that that comes in. Here it is. Yes. Is this not incredible? Look at that. There it is. Shout out to Rhonda and Tim at CVS. Thank you guys so much. Happy Easter, everybody, right? Jesus saves. And man, I was just like, here's what's crazy about it. I was literally thinking, I need to figure out, like safari wild jungle this, how to find some more toilet paper for the family. We're not out, so don't freak out. But we were getting kind of low, and I was like, I need it. And then all of a sudden, boom, somebody just comes is like, happy Easter, thought of you, know you could use this. So look, he's risen, everybody. He is risen. And God, he knows your needs. He knows you. I didn't tell them. I didn't share with any of them. They just moved at the stirring of their hearts and just said, you know what? I bet he could use this and just went out and lived the gospel center life and, and bought their pastor some toilet paper. And I love it. And I'm excited. So I was thinking that story and it just brought back all these rushing memories. And uh, it's just incredible. So Man, you just never know what God's going to do when you just lay your life over and go, Lord, here's my needs. I don't know how they're going to be met. And God's like, I do. I know how I'll meet your needs. Just be faithful. Serve me. Serve others in love. So it's Easter. I, I love every time during this year, a couple things always cross my mind. One, the Passion of Christ movie, just gut-wrenchingly good. And then um, I also think from Luke 24, when they came to the tomb, like Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and, and the ladies are there and, and the angels just simply says this, he is not here, he is risen. And, and every Easter season, I think of that. I mean, I just it, it crosses my mind, it, it resonates in my soul. 
He's not here. He's risen. I know some of you have been to Israel. You've gone to the traditional side of the empty tomb. You've looked inside and the same is true as announced on Easter morning. He is not there. He is risen. Yes and amen. Sitting at the right hand of God in heaven, interceding and helping to seek and giving us the example of what it is to follow after God. Now, we are looking at, as we come really close to ending, um, our gospel-centered series, Gospel-Centered Salvation. What is and why do we need salvation at all? Why do you need salvation? Why do you have salvation? What's the point of it? Well, we, we can read basically the start of it all in Genesis chapter 1, 2, but th- chapter 3 really hits it as well for us too. We need salvation because when Adam and Eve sinned in the world, disobeyed God, violated His guidelines and His teachings and His advice, it tells us that sin came in. The serpent tempts them, they give in, they eat of the fruit, All of a sudden, they're aware of good and evil, and sin just begins to permeate it. It hurts the world, um, pain and childbearing, and Adam's got to work the land, and sin comes in. And all of a sudden, there's this divide between humanity and God, because God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool breeze of the day through the God. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I mean, we live on the coast at the beach, so we know what it is to walk in beautiful places in the cool of the breeze and just be in awe of what God's done. Well, imagine God's there with you. Well, when sin is introduced, it just fractures and breaks that relationship, creates a divide. And from that moment on, God's graciousness of not killing Adam and Eve, he begins to start to unroll this plan in the Old Testament of redeeming his people. And he works his way through and he starts processing through Abraham and then you get Isaac and Jacob. We're looking at Moses and you start to work through all of the Old Testament. Now we're not going to work chronologically through that because we want to spend time in John chapter 20. But I do want to get you in the mindset. Why do we need it? When I mean, we, I'm not just talking Christians, obviously, who have received salvation. But everybody on the planet is born with sin, original sin. The Bible tells us it's passed down through the mail. Everyone that's born, look, and if you don't think that's true, spend some time with some little kids. That's all you got to do. You don't have to train a kid to be like mine. No, disobedient. They, They just are that way. So when it comes to the need for salvation and what is it, it, it's about the redeeming and repairing and reconciling and justice, making wrong things right for our sins in our life that Jesus died for so that we can be in a right relationship with God. And only the Christians on the planet are in a right relationship with God, nobody else. And look, I know that might be um, you know, intrusive to your thinking and you may not agree with that, but the Bible is just super clear. Only those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead, only those people are saved. Only those people are saved. You can just read the Bible. Those are Christians who follow after, bear the fruit because of the Holy Spirit in their lives as a follower of Jesus Christ. But everyone who's born needs salvation. And not everybody lives to 80, 90, 100 years old. Some people die in their adolescence and in their teens and in their 20s and 30s and we can certainly look at the way the world is and just know that there's a great tension of of people who are one day healthy and then maybe a week later they're gone you just never know when that time's up we all need salvation and if you're a christian i would just encourage you to remember your salvation what a great joy and a gift that you have and if you're watching this and you're not a christian There is something so great that waits for you. Something so incredible. Basically, someone's saying, God is saying, not someone. God is saying through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be forgiven of all your wrongdoings, all your wrong thinkings, all of your wrong sayings, and then be in a right relationship with God. Not because of anything you did, but because of the free act of grace that Jesus paid for, substituted himself for, substituted himself for you for, on the cross, and in the resurrection, which is why we're talking about gospel-centered salvation. So let's, let's just look at the one thing. The one thing's going to help us to begin to unpack and understand um, the truth of it. So the one thing reads this way. In God's hands, not your spouse's hands, 
Not your own hands. Not your own boss's hands or employees. But in God's hands, your past can propel you to an incredible present. So in God's hands, your past can propel you to an incredible presence. The context of this scripture here is talking real specifically about how Jesus gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, which is now empty. And then he was risen, as the scripture says, by the power of God. So as he's risen, Jesus came, was born Christmas lived all through his ministry, did all of that stuff the Gospels portrays, and in and early in Acts 2, and really all throughout Scripture, lives and does all of that so that he can transform you and set you free from the consequences and wages of sin, which is death. To set you free from trying to hold your life together. To set you free from trying to figure out how to do all these things that you don't know how to do. How do I provide? Where do I find another job? There aren't jobs out there. How do I stay healthy? How do I help my neighbors? I can't. What do I do with fear? What do I do when I'm overwhelmed? Gospel-centered salvation in Jesus Christ gives you access to the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ and God in a whole nother way. But in this one thing, we look back and we see that in God's hands, which basically you're just saying, God, here's all my life. Remember we talked last week, all your time, talents, and treasures, heart, mind, soul, and strength given to God's will. When you do that, big, incredible, wonderful, surviving through hard things, struggling through difficult things begins to happen. So I want to dive into verse 19, John chapter 20 verse 19 and begin to talk about this here's here's where we're jumping into the easter story um, we're jumping into the easter story of uh, mary magdalene had already come to the tomb that um, jo joseph of arimathea and nicodemus had worked and prepared in spices put jesus in the tomb now it's sunday morning now we're here and mary magdalene goes See some angel. Where is he? What have you done with him? Where is he gone? Sees a guy who thinks he's a gardener. Turns out it's Jesus Christ. She falls at his feet, grabs his feet. Lord, Lord. And um, Jesus sends her back. Sort of the first. He, here's what's awesome about this, right? You want to talk about God redeeming and doing incredible things with your past in the present. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. She was a lady that sold herself for goods and services. And she, through meeting of Jesus, becoming saved and a follower after Him, a disciple of Jesus Christ, her past is then rewritten and redeemed that she becomes one of the first, some say the actual first messenger of the risen Savior. She runs back. She tells the disciples they go, Peter and John, hey, he's risen, he's alive, they don't believe her, they run to the temple, and it all started with a woman who was once a prostitute, is now saved, and Jesus redeemed her and made her whole. I mean, just that story alone proves that in God's hands, your past can propel you to an incredible present. Let's look at verse 19. So now we're picking up Sunday evening, we're here, the tomb's empty, Peter's not really believing. None of the other disciples, they've not seen Jesus. They don't know. Here's what the verse says. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, very important point, uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Um, have you ever been afraid um, that because you're a Christian and you're around other people who aren't? That's what's happening here with these guys. Disciples are afraid because they fear the Jews. Jesus has been crucified. There's rumors circulating through Mary Magdalene and others that he's risen. And they're looking at this going, we're afraid, lock the door. We don't know what to do. Stay inside. And then what happens? Verse 19 still. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. I, I love that invitation. Verse 20. Uh, when he had said this, he showed them his hands right? Showed the hands from the scars from the crucifixion. Showed his side, like, pull it, like look, here it is. Shows the side. Uh, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They're like, you, you're Jesus. You're really him. And he says, peace, because it'd be frightening, right? Doors locked. Boom, this guy just shows up. It's Jesus. 
And they were so glad to see him. So then Jesus said to them again, um, peace be with you. Because it's quite stirring. When, when you live for God and you live for Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, it just, it stirs your life around. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, the, your old person dies. You become a new creation, the Bible says. You're, I mean, it's just, it's a wrecking ball mentality. I mean, it just kind of lays waste. But it's also like purification and ironing, sharpening iron. You know, it just kind of all begins to just make you better. And that's what's happening here. So in all this commotion, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. I mean, imagine that they spent three and a half years with him. They love him and he's back. And he's like, peace be with you. As the Father, God, has sent me, even so am I sending you. Right? Eyes kind of get big. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Just <sighs> breathe on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Just receive it. And it comes and then he says to them in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So you've got Jesus showing up the evening of his resurrection behind closed doors, behind locked doors, infusing people with the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you find yourself, however you define your, whether you're self-isolating or you're locked in or you just don't want to go out or you're social distancing, wherever you find yourself, God can meet you there. There's nowhere in all of his creation that he can't be with you. And I just want to encourage you with that. Turn to the Lord more in prayer and studying your Bible and conversations with other Christians that will lift you up. Because in God's hands, your past can propel you to an incredible present. And one day, a lot of this is going to be over and we're going to move into a new day of things that we've learned and how to live and serve. But let me say this. Think about the crowd that's here in this room when Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. A very relatable crowd. You've got Peter. Peter who denied Jesus three times. He cut a dude's ear off when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden. And Jesus is like, nope. And he reaches down and puts the dude's ear back on. Every time I hear that story and read it, if I was a dude who lost an ear and got put on, I'd be like, I'm out. I am out. There ain't no way I'm arresting this dude. My ear got cut off by that dude and you just healed me and put it on. I'm not arresting him. I'm done. I'm leaving. Drop the sword and go. So Peter's doing that and he's like, no, and Peter gets rebuked. Peter's the guy that kind of thinks before he acts. Maybe that's you. You just sort of dive in, right? You jump off the high dive and realize you don't know how to swim. You're that person. You, you put your proverbial foot in your mouth. You speak before you think. Just no filter. Just comes out. No gateway. Just boom. There it is. He's also one of the guys that evangelized the Jews. Um, he was first inside Jesus' empty tomb on the resurrection day, Peter was. He wrote First, Second Peter and just gives us a, a multitude of truth and examples as he interacts with Jesus throughout the Gospels and also his ministry after Jesus ascends into heaven. I mean, this guy, Peter, many of us can relate to that. And he's in that crowd. And remember, Peter's standing there before the risen Lord. The last interaction he had with Jesus was what? Denying him to a teenage girl who was just trying to serve food and beverages to them. So angry that he yells and raises his voice at that girl who's just trying to do her job. That's the last interaction Peter had with Jesus. So you're standing there, an elephant in the room, this is awkward. This is more than awkward. More than awkward. And you've got John the Beloved, a teenager of influence who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. These were all, all of Jesus' disciples. The 12 disciples, the 11 that are now here, all of them were outcasts and considered not good enough to actually be disciples that followed after other um, rabbis. They just, they didn't make the cut. They weren't people that you wanted to invest your time in. They weren't smart enough or quick enough to, to learn and memorize and read all that. So they had been pushed away. Or they'd been betrayers and worked for the Roman Empire. And they're in the crowd. Nathaniel's there. Remember Nathaniel from John chapter 1? Um, they come to him and his brother's like, we found the Messiah. Uh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And, and what's Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, come on. You're just slamming the dude's hometown. 
And you're just like, boom. And then you go and you meet him, and he's like, here's a man, and he's like, I have no guile in. He's like, whoa. This is Jesus, the Savior. Nathaniel was talking bad about Jesus' hometown behind his back and basically saying no good person can come out of Nazareth, especially the Messiah. But Nathaniel's there, and he receives the Holy Spirit from Jesus who breathes on him. All of these people have a littered past. Have a littered past. They've made mistakes. They've had missteps. Majorly bad decisions. You see them all on the way. Read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus teaches them a story. And they're like, we don't get it. I don't, what are you, just tell us plainly. I don't understand this story. This makes no sense to me. Did you hear me? I don't, I don't, what's going on? What's going on? But what is so incredible about salvation? What's so incredible about the resurrected Lord is that Jesus' grace and justice brings out God's best in our life. Yes, each one of those guys would testify, this is how I was before salvation. This is how I was before I met Jesus. I'd fly off the handle, I'd get mad, I'd run in before without thinking, I'd make fun of other people, I'd mistreat other people, I'd steal, I'd rob, do whatever was best for me. And Jesus chooses these folks like he's wanting to choose you so that you'll accept salvation to begin to learn and to love and serve and dedicate your life to be a Christian. And a Christian, if you're watching this, brother and sister in Christ, I would just ask you now to remember your salvation. Whenever, wherever it was, however it came about, whoever was with you, at your home or a church or who knows where, revival, tent meeting, Christian concert, whatever that may have been, Remember your salvation. Because it's a great testimony. I was once lost. Now I was found. I once was a lying, cheating, stealing, live for myself person. And then God just took all of that past and made me completely new through Jesus. A gospel of salvation is the good news, the best news anyone will ever hear. Because it means you can be free from the things that bound you. You don't always have to be the guy that rushes in too quickly and gets mad real fast. You don't always have to be the person who, who doesn't have the ability to um, commute just because they don't have what other people have that they're not worthless. You don't have to always be that person. But instead, Jesus says, and he rewrites their results. And I guess I would say it this way. Our failures through salvation become his Jesus victories that bring God glory and others closer to God. Look, I used to be, really used to be, uh, ashamed of, of parts of my past. I used to be upset. I used to be, I didn't want to share them. I kind of wanted to hide them, especially after I was saved because, you know, God made me this new whole creation. So what do I do with all this junk that was in my past, all these poor decisions that I made? This unnecessary suffering that I created for myself and, and those that I love around me. How, how, how did I deal with that? What do I do with that? And, and God began to show me um, through a series of just victorious things. He's like, look, first of all, yeah, that, that was you. I mean, you were that way. And some of that stuff tries to creep up and sometimes you're tempted to act and think and say things that way. But once you were saved... You were then infused, indwelled with, as the Bible would say, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So you now have access to overcome that sin. And what was once a, a weight of sin and guilt and shame becomes a monument and a testimony to what God can do. And he uses those things as fuel to encourage and help other people. And go, look how far God can bring us. Look at how much he was there through all those different struggles and tragedies and difficulties, what we would just call life. And I find that my failures are then beginning to be transformed through God's salvation, through the salvation of Jesus, into the victories of Jesus. Yeah, you were once that way, and, and, and there really was very little hope for you. But then when God came in, he just pulled all of those things out. So all the bad stuff, all the good stuff, all that I was trying to gratify myself with, he goes, now, now you can really experience it fully. Now you can have the joy. Now you can understand why we say these things.
One of the things I would point out to you about this context of this verses, which was 19 through 23 that we read, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. So Thomas wasn't in the room when Jesus had shown up. And Thomas is definitely a guy. He was one of those like, basically he just says it this way, there is no way I'm going to believe unless I see it. I mean, I need to see the wounds of the cross in order to believe. And you might be that person. You might be someone, know someone where you work, worship, live, or play that's like, show me, then I'll believe. And we're going to look at how God deals with people who are like, I want incontrovertible proof. I, mean, I want you to just show me without a shadow of a doubt what it is to live. Now, let me remind you of the one thing. In God's hands, your past can propel you to an incredible present, right? There's a reason Thomas kind of gets branded as the doubting Thomas. Throughout scriptures, we see him just questioning Jesus, doubting Jesus. He's not believing all these other guys he lived with for like three and a half years. Mary Magdalene, the other ladies that are in that room, the upper room. He's not believing any of those testimonies. Any of those testimonies. And this is, there's a lot of good news coming here, but let's just read the verses. Uh, verse 27. John chapter 20, verse 27. So then he, Jesus, said, so Jesus appears again. He shows up to them that are there. And when he appears to them, he looks directly at Thomas. And you just got to know the dude's like, I hope I watch your drone because I am just sweating like a crazy person. Because he's about to have an interaction with Jesus. So he's seeing Jesus. His eyes are, he's just like, what's happening and then this takes place. So then he said to Thomas, he being Jesus, put your finger here. Right? And, just, and just kind of motions his side. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Now why? Why would he do that? that ver the verse tells us in 27. Why do that, Jesus? I mean, you're standing there. They saw Jesus in these multiple interactions eating fish and honey. They, they know he's real. He's not just a spirit. He's not just a body. You know, he's both God and man. And he says, this is why I want you to do these things. I want you to have an experience with me because I do not disbelieve, but believe. So in this verse 27, do not disbelieve, but believe belief this salvation message the gospel-centered salvation is being shared with you so that you will believe and if you're already a christian so that you'll believe even more but if you're not a christian so that you'll believe for the first time you have no greater decision to make and it is it's not how much more toilet paper do you need where are you going to get sand sanitizer where are you going to get all these things how are you going to stay away from people how are you not going to get infected your biggest decision has nothing to do with any of that stuff. They're just rabbit trails of distraction. Your main decision, the only thing that's really going to save you and help you, is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. To simply lay down your life and go, Lord, I've been following myself. I've been following others. I've been following false religions. I've been living for money, wealth, power, pleasure, all of these other things. And Jesus just simply says, I don't want you to disbelieve but I want you to believe. So I give you these historical events so that you'll know that they really happen and you'll finally lay it down. I mean, Thomas is like, I'm not gonna believe him, see him. So Jesus just does it. So look what Thomas's response is in verse 28. I love it. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Just boom, just says it right out into everybody. You gotta wonder if Peter's in the back like Nathaniel, John, Watch what's about to happen to Thomas, right? He sees the evidence of Jesus, and that's what the resurrection does. It's just so powerful, and Easter's so huge. It's more than chocolate-eared bunnies. He just goes, my Lord and my God, and just, ex just yells it out, basically exclaims it. Just, here it is, my Lord and my God, a profession of saving faith. Verse 29, see what happens. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen just said opposing a question to him? Blessed are those. He's talking about you who haven't believed yet. This is about you. Who's he thinking about? 
Everybody that comes after Thomas, that's you. He's thinking about all the Christians now who have already believed. What does it say in verse 29? So Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Good things for, strength for, joy and peace and love for all of those who believe who have not seen, who have not required Jesus or saw Jesus said, well, if He doesn't do this for me and if He doesn't do that for me and if He doesn't make this happen, then I'm not going to believe. Jesus is nobody's puppet. He is not mastered by you and your whim and your will. So he says to those, blessed are, better off are, favored are, good things for those who believe, who don't see. And that's where faith comes in, right? Grace is a free gift given by God, just freely given for all of those who would believe. But you're saved by grace through faith. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Not by work so that nobody can boast. Well, I had perfect church attendance and I didn't miss a tithe ever and I gave extra offering and I sung Christian music songs all the time while I did all these things and got all this stuff lined up. So then that means that now God and I are good. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying best of those who have faith that believe that God is real. And let me tell you something. You will have an intimate relationship with God. You will not look at God from a distance and be like, oh, he's so far away, I don't know him. He will come to, as the Bible says, spiritually live inside of you through the Holy Spirit and you will have a deep, intimate cry with you, celebrate with you, be in the trenches with you, be on the mountaintop experiences with you and everywhere in between each day you live. You need salvation and you also need to live like you're saved. Live like you're saved. Thomas was a skeptic and he needed proof and he was a doubter and he was saved. So what did, he, what, did, what did Jesus do with this guy whose past was filled with doubt? He uses him to minister in India. Thomas later goes on to be one of the more powerful and more memorable ministers in what we now know is India. In fact, he served God so greatly that he gave his life. Literally all that he had. He died and was killed for his faith in India. Doubt gone. Shame, guilt gone. He didn't get stuck in self-pity or self-gratification. He just simply said, I'm going to live, love, and serve 100 million, 10%. And he went after it. And here's what I love about this story about Thomas. God can, Jesus can overcome any roadblock in your life so that you can, we can freely live out his created purpose in our life. Because what happens when you present the gospel to people or those who have received the gospel and saved and sort of hit the pause button on their faith, there's all these yeah buts. Yeah, but I've got this. Or yeah, there's not enough time, which is actually a little less because we all, many of us have a lot more time than we normally did to, to pray. And if nothing else, the world is telling us you need to get around Lord and Savior Jesus because it's only him that is going to save you. But we see that no matter what roadblock is in our life, that isn't something that is going to overwhelm Jesus. The obstacle before you is not greater than the object of your salvation, Jesus Christ. Let me see this. Just say this again. The obstacle before you is not greater than the object of your salvation, which is Jesus Christ. So whatever excuse you want to give, whatever doubt you have, whatever questionings there may be or you just might be looking at this going, man, I just, I don't think I could do this. I don't, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think this is going to make sense. I'm just going to tell you all of that stuff Jesus can overcome. And, and throughout your life, he may answer those for you, bring you along in a journey to help you to understand where all of that fits in. So my encouragement to you is to let go and trust and not let these obstacles get in your way to get in your way. Let's look at verse 31. Last verse we're going to look at here. So John 20, uh, verse 31. Now, just, just so we don't miss, these verses are in there for guys like me. You know, you just kind of want to, just summarize it for me. Give me some great cliff notes why I love the book of Romans so much because it just is so much great theology clearly and concisely explained. Verse 31 
says this, but these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, which means Messiah, Savior, the Son of God, His only Son, John 3, 16, 17, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Uh, my wife and I have been teaching our kids how to ride bicycles. How to ride bicycles. So we take the kids out. We're doing it. Our oldest son, Isaac, nailed it in like two days. Like I couldn't be more proud. I, I was so proud and celebrating that I like endangered his life by stop looking for oncoming traffic. I was just like, great job, buddy. You're great. And the wife just poured in so much and did, did so well, encouraging and helping and, and laying all of that out. And, and as he had first started to ride the bike, he was like, we were just like, pedal, 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 right? And we're doing the no training wheels thing. I, you may think I'm a harsh dad. I mean, that's the way I learn, but it just, just no training wheels. So we're just like, let's get out there, ride or die, right? Ride or die. So we just put him out there and just had him go. It's like, dude, you got to pedal, you got to pedal. Well, his first instinct was just to look down while he's pedaling and he just wanted to pedal and pedal and pedal and pedal but i don't know if you've ever ridden a bike and tried to ride that way you can't ride a bike by looking down at your feet while you're pedaling you got to look up you got to look up and i was like buddy you got to look up and you got to look straight ahead don't worry it, it, it'll work out you're, you're going to find your balance you're going to get the handlebars right and you're going to go so then my wife's got him like day two and they're doing it and the next thing you know like a bottle rocket man he just goes and he's like woohoo i'm doing it and he's riding and what's he doing he's looking up he's not looking down at the obstacle of just keep pedaling just keep pedaling just keep pedaling but he's just believing if i just trust my parents what they're telling me to do i'm going to be able to ride and it's going to be incredible and it was i was just so proud of him to see him live that way and don't you know that god's going to be so proud of and so proud for you when you become saved when you become a Christian, born again, and just finally lay down trying to do life yourself and say, I'm going to follow the Lord and all the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to look up and ride. Look up and ride. Stop trying to look down to the pedals and all the obstacles and trying to do this and money this and job this and family this and kids this and just look up. Because what does verse 31 say? When you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. It's for your good and for God's glory. Look, look up and pedal. It's for your own good and it's for the glory of your parents teaching you how to ride a bike. And you're just going to enjoy it so much. Now everybody's, can I ride my bike? Can I ride my bike? Can I ride my bike? And you already do this in other areas of your life. You do. Look, look here's just another real life example. Um, people who know better um, than others, we call them experts, right? Experts. That's what we call them. We trust them. We believe in them. We follow their lead. You do that for doctors. You do that for your body, for your mind. You do that for your car. You do it for your house. You do it in all your relationships. Who are the experts? Who do we follow? Who do we need to go after? We, you're already doing this in so many other areas of your life. Now it's just time to put God first because there is no one better than God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to be an expert for your life. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Jesus lived the perfect, sin-free life. The Holy Spirit is their dwelling presence, God's dwelling presence inside of you to empower you and lay before you the right way to follow. And look, it's going to be hard. When my son was learning to ride his bike, even though he learned in a couple of days, it was still hard. You got to learn how to balance and how to pedal and not crash into cars. And you got to ditch it into the grass when another car's oncoming. I mean, just, you wear a helmet for safety. You know, all of this stuff's taking place. We do all of these and other things. And God just like finally rest in me and put your whole life into me. All that I am in this. Trust and obey the Trinity because there's no better way, no better ones to trust than those guys. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit and what they do. And the purpose of John's gospel is so that you may believe. It's one of the great books that you send to people because as you get to some of these closing verses, you're like, look, you got a new Bible. Where do you start reading? I'd say that to you who get saved um, today and watching this. Get a Bible and start reading the Gospel of John. Start reading the Gospel of John. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, and you want to restoke that fire you had when you're first saved, I say read the book of Romans. Dive right in. 
Read the Gospels too. Read a little Romans, read a little Gospels. And you'll begin to remember what it was to be deeply in love with God and just passionate for Him from the very beginning. And those embers can begin to burn so much more brightly. And it's going to be tough. The world's still against you in many ways. Where you work, worship, live, and play, a lot of that's still against you. But there, we saw with Thomas, there's no roadblock Jesus Christ can't overcome. No matter how hard it gets, as Christians, we never give up. We never throw in the towel. We never stop running this hard race of life. Because one day, it's all going to be over. One day, it's all going to be over. And here's what Jesus knows. I love from verse 31. Jesus knows that first, watch this, first you believe in Him, then you have life through Him. So you've got to believe first. You can't hopscotch go around salvation and expect all the good things that come for Christians and all the strength in the tough times, all the hope in the midst of mourning. You can't have any of that without Jesus Christ. It's fake. It's a mirage. It's a facsimile. You have to go through Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. And He is the life. The good things for Christians are reserved for God's children. So if you're not a child of God and you're not safe, he's just telling you again, look, the tomb is empty because he's risen so that you'll be saved. Today, now is the time. And this world is challenging. And then you can experience, don't buy the, the devil's lies that when you become a Christian, life is less full and less joyous. In fact, you, your relationships will be better, not always easy, but better when you're a Christian. You're going to have the full counsel of God before you in the scriptures. You're going to have a close, intimate relationship with them. You're going to be able to make it through. And in this difficult time our world's facing, you'll also have that as well. In fact, I would say it this way. The only way you will get through or out of this life with any real meaning, any real purpose and joy is by having a forgiving relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to die and give up on trying to do it your own selfish ways. And you start living for the Lord, serving others, loving others, serving God, loving others. That's the true eternal salvation. To take all of the inheritance that comes and all the rewards that the Bible promises us in heaven and to push all of that at the feet of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and just simply say, thank you, Lord, for your abundant, extravagant love in a hard, difficult, cruel world. Thank you for that. And to push all of that in and say, I know this is just what you've done. This is just who you are. You are holy and worthy to be praised. And I would say that because I say this, you're never going to be good enough to earn your salvation. I mean, I just want to set you free and say, stop. If you're playing a Christianity, quit. Quit. You're never going to win the game. You're never going to win it. In all the Gospels, there were Pharisees and they followed hundreds and hundreds of laws on how to be a good follower of God. And Jesus looked at them and said, woe, woe to you. Woe to you, you whitewashed tombs. Nice on the outside, dead on the inside. So for you folks who are, are trying to be good enough or right enough or you're hanging your hat on the fact you're not as bad as your neighbor, not as bad as your ex, not as bad of, of your roommates, that doesn't fly with God. Nobody gets into heaven because they're not as bad as. Everybody gets into heaven who is saved as Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. Then you'll be saved. I would also say this to you also. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into being right with God. But you're also never going to be so bad that you cannot receive God's free gift of grace through faith. You might be watching this and be the worst person in your town. Sinning all the time, hurting people, only ever doing things you don't really want to do and causing consequences and hurting folks that you just can't find a way to be free. You might just look at yourself in the mirror and think, nobody hates me more than I hate myself. And God would say to you that you are not too far for my son to reach you. That gap is not so great in your heart. That wound that someone inflicted upon you is not so deep that my son cannot heal. 
You do not have to suffer needlessly any longer. Your regrets and your shame and your hurt, your past can propel you to an incredible present of salvation when and only when it's put into God's hands. Things are only good. Things are only great when God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are in the middle of it. That's what makes something good. With God, yes, all things are possible, but all all things are only good because He's in the middle of it. So I want to begin to close it out this way. I'm going to throw the one thing up there as we look to close because I want this just in front of your face. Whatever device you're watching this on, I want you to see that. Because I want non-Christians and Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ and, and those who aren't yet a part of the family of God to see this truth. In God's hands, your past can propel you um, to an incredible present which is God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not yours. So here's what we're going to do first. We're going to give those, because obviously this is gospel-centered salvation that we're talking about. We are going to give everyone who's watching uh, a chance to put their life into the hands of God if they've never done that. And then there'll be something we're going to do for the Christians as well, for brothers and sisters of mine. So let's pray together. Christians, let's say this. Uh, Pray for everyone you know. Pray for those who are watching who aren't yet followers of Jesus. Pray that this moment they will and that they'll let us know about it. Shoot us an email, you know, whatever they need to do, comment, call. Let us know this truth. God, I remember what it was like to not be a Christian. I remember trying to get to this world and realizing I'm never going to be the smartest, the strongest, the fastest. and, And even if I was... It wasn't going to be enough because there were times when I had so much before I was a Christian and it just didn't ever fulfill me. It was never enough. And God, we want to pray for all of those who aren't yet Christians, those who have, who have hung in with us and are, are still here and, and are ready and saying, look, I want to receive. We are presenting you now with the gospel message, non-Christian person. Please be saved Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Then you shall be saved. Just ask God to forgive you for your sins. You don't have to have a recipe of a prayer. Just in your heart go, I don't want... I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to be free and I need strength in a hard world and, and, I, and I can't overcome in a world and I don't want to be against you, God, anymore. Forgive me for my sins. I know Jesus is Lord and Savior. I know that He raised from the dead because of the power of God. I know the tomb's empty because Jesus is risen. He's not there and He's at the right hand of God. So for you, not Christian, just going to give you a moment or two to pray and ask God to forgive you for your sins and to be Lord leader of your life, that you'll do it his way and commit yourself to do that. So take these next moments of quietness and just go, God, forgive me, save me, lead me. God, forgive me. God, save me. God, lead me. God, forgive me. God, save me. God, we pray that you will bring forgiveness to them, that you will save them, and that you will lead them. All right, so everybody, just look at me. Everybody's looking at me. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian and you're already saved, you've just been reminded this entire time of the greatest gift that God could ever give. His Son, for yourness, the greatest treasure in all of creation, in all of eternity, in all of time, in all of forever, given and laid out, beaten, bruised, mistreated, tortured, no home, people making fun of him, abusing and taking advantage of him because of all your 
trash for all of your rusty achievements. And my encouragement to you as a believer is simply this, that you would, Christian, commit yourself, recommit yourself, whatever you need to call it, stoke the fires, fan the flame, raise up the ampers, burn brightly, city on a hill, lighthouse for people, candle in a room, whatever you need to do to commit yourself to go, you know what? I don't know how many hours, days, weeks, months, years I may have left. But I am going to commit more deeply and more truthfully to the principles of God's holy word. We don't get saved and we don't put our feet up, brothers and sisters. When we get saved, we put our feet down and we go and let it carry us to what God's will is before us. So we're going to pray as we close with this prayer for all the Christians, all my brothers and sisters out there watching this, that we might be a family that does the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit proud. God, we pray that You will just embolden us more than just feelings and excitement and, and, and more than just sort of fleeting desire, but that there would be a legit, deep down, gut-wrenching, soul-connected fire that rises, grabs our mind and our will and our decision-making and begins to burn out and go, to, I'm just going to follow after God. And I'm going to go the steps before him. And I'm going to help people to know about Jesus. So I pray for you, brother and sister, that you will just commit yourself to Jesus Christ in a greater way. I like to say it this way, that you would never get over being saved. That you'd never become a dusty, rusty Christian because you were saved forever ago. But your zeal would actually grow and be more passionate. So God, we pray you'll do that through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in our spirit and in our heart that you would just burn for us and help us to use how you've gifted us to be able to live out and to serve others and to remember that in your hands, our past can propel us to an incredible present, which is what? What's incredible? That God is glorified, that Jesus is raised up, and that the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and advocating for us and counseling us as we live for you. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Help us to go forward this day serving you to the best of our abilities. It's in Jesus' name we pray. For the glory of God we pray. So that others may believe we pray. So that they might have life we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.